right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Papa. And I am your other host, Lisa Flicker. Thanks for having me. It's Lisa and Chris. And today we spoke with Sam Leone. Sam is the president at Conifer Realty, one of the largest affordable housing developers and operators and owners in the country. He is, uh, they're based out of Rochester, New York, but he lives in, or in South Jersey and he's out of the Mount Laurel office. Um, amazing guy, super nice guy has been with Conifer for a long time, worked his way up from, uh, I think it was like a development coordinator or something to now he's a president. Before that, a farmer, a farmer. (laughs) That's right. He was a farmer, (laughs) farmer, Sam to president Sam. So please check, uh, check out the podcast and you can hear that amazing story. So with that, have a great weekend. All right, Sam. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Sam Leone. Thanks for having me. President of Conifer Realty here in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Love that picture of your kids behind you. How old, how old are they? Is that your, those are your kids? Uh, well, they're they're older now. Uh, my daughter is going to be 21, in, or sorry, 22 in two days, and my son is 19. Oh, they're around the same age as my kids. That's so nice. You're, it's a great age. You're a yeah. First time empty nester, I guess. Yeah, yeah. First time empty nester. Big adjustment there, but uh, we're having a lot of fun. My daughter still, or our daughter still lives with us. She decided to go to through COVID and everything. She's decided uh, to finish out college local and live at home. Um, so she goes to uh, Rowan University, which isn't far from us. And and then my son's the complete opposite. He went to Penn State, and I don't know if he'll ever come. Back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, that's nice. You went to Rowan too, I, I, Sam. I did. Yeah. Yeah. She's following in my footsteps. But besides uh, being a great parent, you also run a very big affordable housing development company and owner. Uh, can you tell us about Conifer? Yeah. So Conifer, um, you know, we've uh, been in the affordable housing multifamily business for over 48 years. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to actually conceive of like a 50 year, you know, anniversary oh, celebration. Cool. That, that's pretty cool. That's cool to think about. And um, started out of Rochester, New York uh, with some pretty deep entrepreneurial type roots, you know, uh, founded by a group of individuals. And then, you know, through much of the life of the company, you know, kind of passed from individual owners to individual owners. Um, but in the affordable, you know, tax credit space, ever since the tax credit program came out in 1986, we've been in it. And so we developed uh, build, own, and manage, um, and we're we've got in the neighborhood of fifteen thousand uh, multifamily apartments under management. Uh, we have uh, that equates to um, around two billion dollars in assets under management, and uh, and on the other side of the equation, we have a pipeline of new developments that's uh, uh, over two billion dollars on that side. So it's a pretty exciting time for Conifer. You know, we've uh, over. Over a long history, we've grown, you know, um, through a lot of, uh, um, you know, trials and tribulations of, of 48 years of econ- economy and and housing programs and so forth. Um, and uh, but um, we're we're we've been on a real tear as far as growth recently, kind of pivoting from more organic growth to more intentional growth. Um, and so we've got a two billion dollar pipeline now to speak speak from. Uh, so exciting That's times. Awesome. And so how did you, uh, like, just speaking of talking about you a little bit, um, 
tell us about like where you kind of grew up and how you kind of got into like did you always dream of being running an affordable housing development firm <laughs> you know it's uh so it's it's a funny story so uh you know, the, the, the 30 second version, if I can pull that off, you know, I grew up in South Jersey. I actually grew up on a farm. Oh, really? Um, on a farm. And, That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So I grew up on a vegetable farm and, um, we were, you know, cabbage, on, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, <laughs> no, we grew, uh, we grew a lot of stuff that got sold straight to New York city. Uh, long, you know, long story, but you know, we had an in, uh, back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s of selling produce directly to the um, the, mar- the the restaurant market oh, wow. of New York City. It's um, a hard so job, man. Pretty much, yeah, so pretty much what the restaurants wanted, you know, we, we provided and we were able to provide it year-round because we, have, uh, we had um, family members that also owned farms in uh, Florida. So we were able to, to sell year round, which was important. So really big operation that I grew up in um, and grew up with kind of, you know, hardworking family roots of, of the farm culture. You know, when I was 16 years old, I got a farm license and started delivering produce and taking it to the auction and getting up at wow. five in the morning and all that what stuff. A life. And um, yeah, it was a, it, hey, it sounds like a lot of hard work and it was, but it was an awesome childhood. Uh, but by the time I was 18, my my, my dad had actually made the decision to get out of farming and retire. Um, so, uh, so the farming ended really with my senior year of high school. Um, I went off to university of Florida and, uh, I'll be honest about it. I spent two and a half years there wondering what the heck (laughs) I wanted to do. Um, and, um, and I just decided, Hey, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting money. Um, and, um, I didn't know then what I know now. I think the reason why I didn't know what to do is because um, I I don't have the attention span to do. I, I liked accounting, uh, but I couldn't see myself doing accounting. That's what Lisa did. Lisa did accounting. Yes. Yeah. I, I did start out doing that, but I will tell you, anybody who knows me knows it was absolutely by far the worst career path for me, sitting at KPMG behind a desk for 22 hours. So you can appreciate. No, not for me. Yeah. You, so you're going to appreciate the struggle. That's where I was at. I was like, you know, I love this stuff, but man, like there's just something missing. And until I figure it out, I'm just wasting a lot of time and money sitting here, you know? Um, although the university of Florida, you know, Hey, it was a great party school with lots of great right. people. Yeah. But, um, but by the time I was around, you know, 19 pushing 20, it's like, okay, something's got to change. This isn't, this isn't working. So I went to work for a family business in New Jersey um, in the construction field and uh, small business and um, being in that uh, that atmosphere, I, I, you know, I, hey, I was I was at that age, I was worried about, hey, how are we making payroll? How are we, you know, where's the next jobs coming from? How are we managing cash flow? And um, so it gave me a, a great perspective on life. And five years later, um, through a series of events, you know, I, I moved on from that, went to Rowan, knew exactly what I wanted to do and finished in record time, you know, carrying, I was older then, and I had a, uh, I got married, I had a kid on the way, my daughter was on the way. So I, I was working three jobs and, and, uh, going 18 hours, you know, a session at Rowan finishing up, finished out, knew exactly what I wanted, at least in the sense that I got into economic oh, development cool. and worked at, 
with Glassboro and Rowan University at that time, you know, they were trying to build that town and gown atmosphere, um, did that for a while, um, you know, leading economic development for the borough, um, which now if you were to drive through Rowan's campus, uh, and it's kind of cool because my daughter points it out and I'm like, yeah, that was, you know, we started a seed to that 20 years ago. Um, but there's Rowan Boulevard now with, with, uh, like over a half a billion dollars worth of uh, investment in residential housing and student housing and um, shops and, and everything to kind of ta- connect the old blue collar town with the university setting. Um, so I got my, where, where did of, that like impetus? That. I mean, that's like, I mean, that's pretty, I actually had the same sort of idea growing like when I was in college, I didn't follow through with it obviously, but like, how did you, uh, like, where did that come from? You knew what you wanted to do, but where did you um, know how, how did how did that? I'll, I'll kind of chalk it up to maturity. You know, I think when I went back to, to, to the university, I, I, I knew a lot more about myself. And so I was actively talking to professors. I was actively talking to the dean, to the president of the university. I was just a different person and saying, hey, you know, I want some help and, and they were willing to give it. It was really kind of an awesome run. You know, they, they were the ones that my, I had a professor in general that said, hey, you know, I think based on what you keep talking about, you ought to go talk to, you know, uh, the president of the university and talk to um, the, um, the, the, the mayor of Glassboro and see where this goes. And so, you know, before I knew it, I was in charge of economic development for the borough and, and working on a lot of town and gown stuff um, in support of the two, you know, bodies that were trying to build this downtown and build a stronger campus and all those things. Um, and so the creative side came out. I, I realized that I could I could go out and I could sell the, the borough of Glassboro and Rowan University to, to other developers. And that was really creative. And um, I did learn that, you know, I may actually be, uh, have an attention deficit issue, right? So just when that's like, okay, but that's not enough for me, you know, there's the, okay, but how do, how do all, how does it all tie together financially and what's needed to be able to make it all work and pencil out. And then there's just a design piece. So, you know, I always thought maybe it'd be cool to be an architect, but I don't have to be one. We hired some great architects and planners and you're sitting at a table and envisioning what this downtown's going to look like. So, you know, so that, that was a really awesome run. I, I stayed there for five years and I'm really proud of what the, the borough and the university accomplished and happy to have been a part of it, but it ran its course and it was time for me to look for something different. And the architect that was working on those plans with us, uh, was Beth kitchen from kitchen and associates. Okay. And, and one day she pulled me aside and she goes, Sam, you know, you always had a smile. I'm not seeing the smile as much anymore. What's going on. And she goes, and I said, well, you know, I'm, um, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for what's next. It's time for what's next. And I'm kind of struggling to figure out what that exactly is. She introduced me to the the principals at Conifer. They had just opened a New Jersey office and I hadn't really thought of um, affordable apartments, uh, but uh, I was aware of it, you know, but I hadn't really thought of it. Um, and so she introduced me to, uh, you know, Conifer and um, they, they just, they had an open role. I took it. And, what was the role? Uh, the rest. So I, I actually took a role as project coordinator. I was a project coordinator. And in the New Jersey office, it was me and um, 
one of the key executives at the time, Andy Crossed, uh, his, his, you know, he and Dick Crossed and Tim Fournier were the principal, you know, executives and owners of the company back then. Tim Fournier, I think had actually just become CEO and president right in that moment of time. And Dick was chairman. Uh, but Andy was in New Jersey running the New Jersey office, getting it off the ground. We had one deal that was funded and needed to close. And we had another deal that was getting ready to go into tax credit applications. Um, so it was a really early time in that office. And I came on board in a pretty entry level role and then kind of, you know, worked to grow the office from one deal at, at a time to two deals to four deals and so forth. Um, and and uh, move up from coordinator to, to director to, to VP to RVP and you know, that path just kind of found its way through the company. And I think as people listen to this, they think that sounds easy, right? Because there are a lot of people who talk to you <laughs> like, I moved from this to this and this, and now here I am, president of the company. But I, I yeah. when when we work with younger folks that are trying to kind of figure out their careers, it's always an interesting idea that you think, there's a lot that goes into that, right? So there's obviously the preparation, but then there's also, I, I, I'm sure that you had your share of challenges and not that I'm trying to like, you know, have you cry on the show, but I'd love to hear a little bit. I, I want him to cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, no, you're right. And and through that, there's a lot of days that I certainly wanted to, wanted to cry, right? You know, it, it's not all, to your point, it's it's definitely not a linear path. And, and it certainly isn't that it, it at any moment in time along that journey, it's not like I was like, you know what, by the time I'm, you know, X years old, I'm going to be president of this place. That that thought actually had never crossed my mind um, for, for most of that journey, at least, um, you know, and so, you know, I, I took that role. And to be honest, at the at that time, I, I really wanted to be a project director. And the job description they gave me was for the director. So I've got to admit, I actually highlighted all the things on there that, that I wanted to prove I could do so I could become a project director. That was the only thing on my mind. I want to get good at this. I really like it. I like the people here. This sounds really awesome. It sounds like where I can fit in. Um, let me let me prove my stuff. And so that's where it started. And then it just kind of grew from there. And, um, and then I... I, had, I could not have predicted the path I took along the way, um, but um, but I'm really thankful for it. You know, I wound up, and, and a lot of it came with, um, I will say, I think I was, um, what, what helped me be successful is, is that I was open. I had a voracious appetite for learning more and I was open to coaching. And I, but that's only half the equation. I was surrounded by people that were willing to mm. coach me um, and, and mentor me and, and including the executives at Conifer um, through that whole journey. Um, but, you know, just when I was, you know, I became a VP at one point, you know, and then I got to be honest, I was like, you know what, like I, I want to do more. And just then an opportunity opened up where we were, we, we had a lot of things going on in Maryland, but, um, but things weren't executing well. So, so just when I was kind of getting, feeling a little stymied, right? Like, Hey, you know, I, what else is out there for me? Um, I, uh, um, sometimes the opportunities come when you're least expecting it. All of a sudden Tim Fournier one day said, Hey, would you mind taking a run at Maryland for us? And, um, I said, sure, you know, and, and what I didn't know them was, is it, it became a really big opportunity for me to, um, to kind of blaze my own path a little bit more in New Jersey. I was, I, I, it was a great path, but I, I was following, mm -hmm. you know, 
Um, and, and I got this shift and pivot my own career in Maryland to really leading an office and growing it and finding, you know, fresh deals and restaffing it with fresh people. Um, and then from there it grew to, okay, Sam, you know, next step for you, we want you to run all of development. Um, and then from there, um, you know, we want you to run the whole company. So, um, it's just amazing how those things happen, but, you know, back to the point, I, I, that path that if somebody asked me my, my version of myself 17 years ago, I would have had no idea that any of that would have happened or some of the things that I failed at along the way, but learned from, you know, what are the so, kind of the hard skill sets that you've learned over the years? Like when you started as the coordinator, like, did you, did you learn something that you didn't know before? Like, and how, you know, like, like, was there sort of like a hard skill set, you know, personality wise and, and like learning and being open is one thing, but then there's also a lot of like technical skill sets you need to learn, right? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I'll say about development and that we talk a lot about here is, is that especially in affordable housing development, um, you've got to have a mindset you need a certain level of tenacity to really understand that every single day somebody's telling you, well, you can't do that or you can't do that today or, or that deal can't close yet. Um, you can't have your building permit yet. And um, so it requires an enormous amount of creativity and tenacity to like when somebody throws up a roadblock, how are we getting through it, around it, over it? Mm. If, if you just let that kill you, the deals never get closed. They never come to fruition. Or, they, or if they do, they, they tend to be, you know, um, over budget and, and off schedule, right? So, um, but there's a way to do that and, and the level of creativity and, and collaboration. But that tenacity and that willpower of like, okay, you know what? All right. We had a bad day at the code official's office today. They, they said they're not going to get us our building permit in time. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to change that? Um, and um, so, so that definitely was something I learned about myself that um, I think obviously the inherent skill set there, aptitude existed, but I, but as I realized how important it was, then I, then I honed that skill and people here helped me, help me hone it. Right. So. Learning how to solve problems is so important. Problem solving. Yeah. It's yes. all kind of yeah. at the heart. I'd be curious to hear. So there's all this talk in the in the HR world now about like CEO mornings. And I don't know if you've read any of this where people are like, what does the president or CEO of your company do before 9 a.m.? And let's try to replicate that and see if that, you know, harder you work, luckier you get type of thing works out. I'd be curious to hear a little bit. And I know you grew up on a farm, so maybe you had a head start. I'd love to hear a little bit about what it, what the morning looks like for Sam. Yeah. So my morning, uh, it's a great point, you know, so I do tend to get up early. I don't tend to do a whole heck of a lot early, but I'm up. And so I get up and, you know, I have an early morning cup of coffee and just, but, um, uh, it, there's mental prep there that kind of goes in, you know, okay. Like what is the most important thing today? Um, and it's kind of picking up, I guess, from the prior evening, obviously, you know, so there's things that, you know, I'm excited about and also obviously things that are eating away at me, you know, each night. It's just how things go when you're running a big organization and and also when you're raising a family and everything else. Right. So at night, you know, I, I close out on a certain chapter and the next morning it's that chance to kind of restart, uh, reboot and say, OK, what, what's the most important things I need to focus on today? And so that's 
having that cup of coffee, it's really that process. And it's funny because I'll be kind of sitting there and um, my family's had to kind of learn that that's what I'm going through because they'll start, they'll see me just sitting there and they'll start asking me questions and, and I'm like, Hey guys, just, this is my half hour. Mm. <laughs> it seems like I'm doing nothing, kinda, but I'm actually doing everything. Yeah, this is where the there's, magic there's is a whole happening. Bunch of, yeah. Yeah. It may look like I'm just watching the news or something and drinking a cup of coffee, but I, I need this half hour to kind of mentally prep to show up for everybody. Right. And so that's kind of my thing. I mean, I know a lot of people say, oh, I read or I, you know, I, I, I work out or whatever. Um, but the biggest thing for me is just having that 15 minutes to a half hour to just really kind of brainstorm the day. Like, what are the things I really need to focus on today? How do I need to show up? Intentionality. Um, you increasingly intentionality exactly you know just that mental prep of like okay i've got a meeting at noon it's going to be a little tricky am i prepared for it you know have i walked through all the 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 things that might you know pop up in that meeting so i can so i can show up the way that i'm supposed to show up so um yeah so that intentionality from there then you know i'm, I'm either heading to the office or um uh, you know um or heading to increasingly for me it's 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 kind of which which place do i need to show up i, I come to the mount laurel office or i'm in rochester um again with some intentionality around when i'm in rochester which is where most of our corporate employees are at um i also try to get out to the sites more often but even the sites really with the intentionality of i'm going there as president with curiosity about how things are going um so that i can really understand the pulse of of conifer so. And like, was it hard to, um, be, go be like an employee to them being more of a boss and like, cause I, for me it was, I, I was in that role and like, I was kind of became the boss of people that I was at the same level with, so to speak. And it was, it's, it's such a transition like to, you know, one thing, you know, you were complaining about the boss with them for, for 10 years and all of a sudden you are the boss that they're complaining about. Right. <laughs> Um, and so, I mean, man, was it, yeah, was it hard to, uh, and so I had a great mentor that helped me learn how to do that. Cause I didn't know how to do that. It didn't come necessarily natural to me. Um, how, how did you learn how to do that? Now that you're the president of the company and like at some point you have to, you know, we all try to be everyone's friends. You get more honey with bees with honey than vinegar. But like, sometimes it's like, I have to be the boss, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And kind of know when to play, um, play that card or however you want to call it. But, um, you know, I will say, I think that, um, I, I didn't really realize this about myself earlier in life, but I, I do think that I tend to be a better delegator than most. Um, so the delegation part always came very, fairly easy for me. But to your point, even then, it was more in a collaborative nature. Like, okay, here's how we're going to solve this problem. You do this piece. I'll take this piece. That's still different than being suddenly being a boss, right? Um, so, um, so through that, I, I, you know, I definitely had some great coaching here at Conifer. Tim Fournier, you know, uh, was was definitely one of the make great mentors that helped me work through those things. Um, and sometimes it was more awkward than others. You know, sometimes I, you know, it got less awkward as I was able to actually build the teams, obviously, because they just came on board knowing that I was in charge. But when you're, it's a great point, Chris, when you're, when you're rising up through the ranks of the company, that's not always the case. And, um, and so, um, you know, I, there have been some times that it was difficult. Um, I'll be honest, uh, 
there was one time, and I won't describe it in too much depth because well, it was oh, a long come time. On, come on, come on! Uh, no one listens. No one listens to this podcast. I'll I'll say when I when I came into um, one of the regions that I had to to pop into and and take over, you know, um, in more of an awkward way where it's like, hey, this isn't working, and and Sam's now running the territory. Um, you know, you do have to mentally prep for that. You know, so so um, so my mornings for that stint of time, occasionally involved. You know, I I was you know I had to kind of get my head prepped in a different way so you know the audiobooks i was listening to even changed mm-hmm. um there were days i had to listen to the art of war <laughs> you were like listening to metallica <laughs> going into the into the meeting <laughs> <laughs> that too yeah you know so you just you know you just have to you're right i mean it's that self-awareness of like you know what like i i need to project myself a certain way how how does that need to look and um and understanding that if that's not your natural state, then you need to figure out how to coach yourself through that. So have you ever worked with an executive coach? I have. Yes. Um, there's been several over the years. Conifer, you know, has always been, um, historically very uh, helpful in that regards, uh, helping, um, being intentional around successful succession planning. So as, um, myself and others came up through the company, understanding that, that, coaching is an important part of that process. Um, so we've always had some level of exposure to that over as I become president, I now actually have two coaches. I have, I belong to a Vistage group. So Vistage worldwide is a worldwide, you know, CEO care group. Um, and I actually met with my Vistage coach this morning. So that's, that's non affordable housing. That's just, you know, CEOs of every kind of, kind of company you could imagine around the world. I belong to a Philadelphia chapter and meet with um, peers from, you know, that are CEOs of a whole bunch of other different kind of companies. And, and my CEO coach um, actually was the CEO of Zales Jewelers. Oh, really? Um, oh, nice. And nice she for your wife. through. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's a really cool coach and really become a good friend now. Uh, and uh, so she retired out of that position, but she grew up uh, kind of through the sales, sales culture. So there's a lot of commonalities. I think finding coaches that you, there's a lot of different coaches out there and they're helpful in their own way to different people and maybe less helpful to others. You know, Mary, uh, my Vistage coach, uh, came up and became a CEO of a very large organization and did it successfully. Um, so when I, so, but she had a similar journey to mine in her own way. So, uh, she's able to really help me. Um, if anything, she'll, she'll push me. She'll say, Sam, you know, you better charge through this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in a similar moment, you know, 15 years ago myself and you better charge through it. You better have that, you know, um, that important conversation, whether it's with a board member or a key executive or an employee or whoever. Right. So, so that's really helpful. Um, and then we actually have a coach, um, based out of Rochester that helps all of us at the senior team level. Um, so back to helping, um, people really, um, increase their own self-awareness, increase their, their aptitude for performance, increase the, the collaborative nature with other departments, uh, Chris, to your point of just 
you know, hey, you you may have had two people reporting to you. You now you have now you have three people reporting to you, and those three people have a dozen people helping people be able to grow into those roles in a productive way. Um, so you know, we have someone at that level that's that's been um, extremely helpful. That's awesome. That's we've also had some coaches. Uh, we've also had some coaches that didn't quite fit, or maybe fit for a while and don't fit anymore. You know, so it's kind of like a constant thing. But. No, it's interesting. And I'm a big fan because I feel like and there, there's a book out there that I love and it's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And I feel like in a lot of ways, this describes many careers, but yours, right? So what got you to be a project manager is likely not what got you to be the president. And I often find it's hard for people to pivot in the company that they're they're at because people, like what Chris was saying earlier, people look at you in a certain way. And so to be able to kind of change the narrative, I, I give kudos to you and to Conifer for being able to yeah. kind of bring you up that way. It's amazing. It's uh, yeah, I'm very thankful. You know, it's funny you say that because I kind of came into this kind of being prepared that you might ask what my favorite. So that that's actually been among the most helpful books for me starting around five years ago. And, and, and I still have it on my, you know, on my phone and the, you know, audio forum. Um, so every once in a while, maybe on a plane ride, I'll, I'll, I'll re-listen to it. But Marshall Goldstein with uh, what got you here won't get you there, you know, because, um, and, and there's so much truth to it. What made me successful as a project coordinator certainly is no longer. And the self-awareness to even understand the wake that you create behind you. You know, I, um, I like to think that I'm a pretty humble person. So I, when I'm walking down the halls, I don't think of myself as the president. Right. I think of myself as, you know, and, but, but it just, even then just realizing that something I say or my facial expression starts to carry much more weight than, than maybe it did when I was a project right. coordinator. Um, it, it's all really helpful to, to keep reminding yourself of. So and what's, what's going on? So Conifer, I mean, been running around a long time, as you said, and, they're in a new iteration, so to speak, in growth mode, and you're getting into uh, a bunch of different states. Can you tell us like how that's going, and what what are the plans the next couple of years for Conifer? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we um, up until about 2020, I'll say we, we historically um, were operating in four states: New Jersey, New York, New Jersey, PA, and Maryland, mostly in the nine percent light tech mm-hmm. space. Right. So um, and, and and continue now to do a phenomenal job in that business, you know, um, but that business has changed. You know, the deals are smaller. Um, the amount of uh, funding available per deal hasn't changed a whole lot in the in the 17 years I've been doing this. Um, but costs obviously are much higher and now certainly interest rates. So we used to be able to do 100 unit you know, developments, uh, or at least 80 unit developments with those credits, it's pretty hard to do 50 units with those credits now. And so we're a much bigger company. Um, we have a certain level of scale. doesn't mean that 50 unit developments aren't important in the community, but it's really not where we can be the best partner and an owner, right? It's, it's not our scale anymore. So we needed to pivot from that, um, regardless. And uh, so starting around then, we started pivoting towards more meaningful, larger 4% transactions, um, a little bit more. We've always been historically develop, uh, ground up. We've pivoted to a little bit more ACK rehab in combination with the ground up. Um, 
and so um, so they're key initiatives that we started along that journey to, to grow. Um, and we've made that transition. Most of our business now is actually larger 4% mm -hmm. deals. Um, starting around 2020, we've consecutively closed on the largest. So we keep saying, hey, we closed the largest transaction in our history. And then like the next quarter, we closed the next largest Whoa. one. Um, but so, so all, you know, um, you know, so we did a 300 plus unit act rehab uh, in Rochester, moved on to closing uh, Point and Ravine and, and Yonkers, 146 units, seven story, um, you know, 4% multifamily ground up deal. Um, that was our largest ground up deal ever. And then we just recently closed on Carmen Place in, in the village of Hempstead, 228 units. That that was our first ground up deal that's over a hundred million dollar construction value. Um, so we just keep having all these first, but it, it started with that pivot of let's get out of the 9% box. We're not abandoning it. We still do some 9% deals, but we're approaching bigger deals um, and doing, doing things with some different intentionality around it. Um, and then on top of that, so what kept us from doing that before partly was that, you know, we have a certain engine we have to feed, right? right? And so um, you can't find enough of those opportunities if, you're, if your sandbox is still four states. Um, so we've expanded the sandbox along the way to complement that. We, we are now doing uh, developments in Virginia. Uh, we've got a pipeline in North Carolina. We have an opportunity in, in South Carolina. We just turned in our first tax credit application in Atlanta and oh, cool. Georgia for, for an opportunity in Atlanta. And we're working on a partnership to do some cool stuff on the workforce housing front. So actually not even light tech, oh, wow. just cool. workforce in Jacksonville, Florida. So so we needed to, all those things needed to happen for that to be successful. And they're all clicking now in a pretty cool way. So And it's great because, you know, you kind of alluded to, not having a like a, the ability to always focus on every detail for a really long period of time. But I feel like the in my mind, what I'm seeing you get jazzed about and I'm hearing your success coming from is exactly that, is the idea that we have a deal. We have a bigger deal. We have a territory. We have another like this idea that you're like you're able to kind of trailblaze your own path. And I feel like I, I haven't known you for that long, but I could tell already that that is that is absolutely the key to your success. It's uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, it's it's what it's what makes me look forward to Mondays uh, for sure. It's hard to get yeah. companies to be that nimble though, and to change direction when they've been successful doing one thing for so long. It is, it is, and you know um, that wasn't easy. You know, and um, you know um, I think that is part of the challenge of you know how do you how do you how do you you know what it shows up in so many places that, and sometimes in places you wouldn't even anticipated, you know, it's like, well, we always did it this way. Why do we need right. to do it different? Um, or gosh, or the other one is this, well, we tried that way, you know, five years ago. Okay. But we weren't the same company right. five years ago. So we're going to try it again. And we anticipate a different outcome this time, you know, so there's, it takes a lot. Um, and I, I think that uh, back to, where I show up in that, I, I've realized that um, where I can show up is less in the details and more in the the encouragement and the enthusiasm between um, trying things differently when it makes things make sense to try them differently, 
right? Yeah, uh, and you got to like, and so doing that, but also keeping your core people happy at a company too, right? It's like, yes. you, you can just say, all right, let's, <laughs> let's just do something new. And everyone who's been there for 20 years says, what the hell's going on here? Where am I doing? And then all of a sudden, you know, you got to, and I think having somebody from within that's been there a long time that knows the culture is super helpful to, to bridge that gap. Kind of like when we formed Jackson Lucas, we came out of another firm, um, but I had been at that other firm for such a long time and we wanted to keep that culture from the other firm and um, we just had a lot of people that were at that but we wanted to do something different so we didn't just say like all right let's burn down what we just did we're like all right let's keep that and add on to it yeah it's a great point you know because you you run the risk of people feeling suddenly devalued right and and that's and that's couldn't be furthest from the truth but it's just a natural way people might feel where it's like well Hey, I, I was successful here for the past five years doing it this way. Now all of a sudden, everybody's saying that's wrong, right? And the truth is, it's not wrong. We're just trying to to pivot to who we are now, and and um, and so um, yeah. So there's a lot of uh, potential pitfalls in there that we've had to manage our way through. I will say that um, we just went through an exercise with a consultant. We actually brought in an outside consultant, actually somebody from our advisory board. Uh, by the way, I talk about peers. We also have we have an advisory oh, wow. board of, of five industry people. Um, and uh, so somebody on the advisory board said, you know, there's an efficiency consultant that did a world of good for our company. I talked to him. We brought him in to help us this year. And so they, they got a better pulse of what's going on at all those people that are trying to do their daily job. And as we're adding on different things, you know, there's there's friction there that starts to form that we may not even see they helped us see it and something that was really valuable for me to understand is is that for me like one degree of change from yesterday to the day um for a certain person or organization it could literally be a 180 mm-hmm. right so in that feedback you start saying hey i've got conflicting priorities and from my view it's like I don't understand. What do you mean conflicting priorities? You know, and they're like, well, yesterday I had to do this. Today I was told to do this. You don't really realize that uh, until you kind of take that approach and have some help with it. So, um, so we, I, it's been very helpful for us to kind of have some better conversations with people throughout the company and, um, and have a better awareness there. And then um, within that, the one other thing I'll offer is, is that we've realized that, in my mind, I might say, gosh, let's go a hundred miles an hour into this new territory and realizing that maybe you need to go, you know, five miles an hour until people see the mm-hmm. benefit and get on board. And then you kind of ramp up, go slow to go fast, um, kind of approach. Um, that can be hard for somebody like me. Cause I'm like, man, that, that's just, let's go crush it. And you kind of, kind of slow down a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And others, you know, there's other people in the company that might want to just hurry up and deploy something all for the right reasons, but understanding your capacity. So and building a great leadership team that supports you. And yeah, I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole different skill set than being the project manager. I mean, actually, no, I mean, the project manager, you got to lead the project and all the people on the project, but being, you know, being a deal person and being every, just because you're a good deal person doesn't mean you're a good leader right and so it's a different skill set yeah yeah and and you know um you know at that at the project manager level you know i might have been personally responsible for a couple direct reports um i may have been 
managing a team of 20 or 30 people, but a lot of them weren't even kind of for people. They were architects, engineers, what have you, you know, so you're working on solutions oriented relationships and managing that, managing people in, in that kind of way. What it's pivoted now to is, is that um, there's over 500 people at Conifer, really committed, dedicated people that believe in what we do. Um, you know, understanding what's going on. What's, what's, uh, how are they feeling? You know, are they feeling engaged? Do they feel like they've got too many roadblocks in their way? What can I do to, to improve that? Or, or what shouldn't I do? Cause if I do that, it's going to really, um, mess up, you know, their progress. Um, and, um, and I actually, um, I really like that. I, I really, I feel honored to have that responsibility. Um, but there's a lot of weight that comes to it. So, you know, one of the worst things you can have is, is, is frankly getting an exit interview, you know, report and saying, man, did we really let this person mm -hmm. down. Um, what are we going to do so that we don't do that the next time? Um, you know, but those, those aren't fun to read, you know, it's fun to read them when it's like, you know what, the only reason I left Conifer is I moved to Europe, but I love that yeah, place yeah. and you guys are, but that's not usually what happens, you know, usually it's, it's, there was, there's more to it and, but keeping our eyes open on that stuff and really making sure that we continue to, uh, advance our culture. So people, uh, feel great no matter what stage of conifer they're working in. So, and what I think your firm does well is to having that, that leadership type training where managers are able to learn that what makes a great manager is that you actually care about the productivity of the people below you. And I find that people often get tripped up there because this idea that you're like almost competing with the person one level below you or kind of who was once on your level. And I, I can definitely see in your personality that you are somebody who likes to see the success around you and others. And I'm sure that's what makes you one of the things that makes you a great leader. Chris, you have that too. So oh my goodness. Yeah, here. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. It's, it's funny to say that, Lisa, because it's it's to me, um, it, it, that's another part of self-awareness I've had to learn. You know, um, I, I, I'm hey, I'm I want to continue building the succession planning here that that I was a beneficiary of, um, including replacing myself. Right. Um, and that's easy to say, you know, but it's funny how, um, you know, are not there's a there's a natural part of all of us where it's like, okay, like, are you really looking out for me? Right. <laughs> you know? no. uh, or, or are you, are you keeping me in my place because you're, you're worried about me doing better than you or all those. So all those net dynamics are natural in, and so trying to figure out a way where people really do um, feel comfortable that it's a coaching moment, not, not anything else. Right. Um, but, but that's the, I mean, actions speak louder than words with that. And, and, you know, we're, we're very, we have a senior leadership team that um, is, is over 20 people strong, very dynamic, represents every different um, area of expertise and leadership in our company. And we've made um, a lot of strides in making it very clear that they are being groomed to be the leaders of the company. They are the leaders right. of the company and they're being groomed to continue to grow. Um, and, and my version of success is that at some point in time, one of them actually does take my job. That would be awesome. So without a doubt, right. It's, um, talking about books we like, I, I don't know if you've read mindset, Carolyn Dweck's book, 
And if you haven't, no. I'm going to, I'm going to send you the link grab it. after, but <laughs> it's, this is the, the whole concept of the book is that success comes when the entire organization feels like if the person next to me is successful, I'm more successful. And, and I, you know, I, I'm a big believer in that. So I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an all ships rise, you know, mentality, but, um, you gotta have a very healthy culture for that to exist. You know, if, if people are worried that, you know, someone else is going to take credit for something right. or, um, you know, so it just, it takes a lot of work maintaining that culture where people feel that way and, and, and live it, you know, right. so, and the maintenance, yeah. right. It's not just work one and done. It's just, it's a constant maintenance. Yeah. Well, so, so, yeah. Including, you know, um, some of the most uncomfortable times are when you have, you know, when you have uh, someone in your culture that's not living that, right. um, you have to do something about it. And, and those have probably been the toughest times, certainly in my career in the past, as I've grown through the company and different leadership roles, that's the worst possible time for me because, you know, nine times out of 10, you have someone that's an incredible performer, but, but has uh, some behavior traits that don't allow mm -hmm. others on the team to feel like they can, that when you hear from people that they have to watch their backs where that, right. you know, those have been the toughest times when you have to have a conversation with someone about their leadership skills and what, what it's causing other people to the environment that it's causing. And then right? assessing if yeah. those people are coachable or not. That, that's exactly when to say yeah, when, right? It's yeah. hard. I know. Yeah. It, that's they're, they're the toughest decisions because they often tend to be some of the best performers, right? right? Like they're crushing it. The problem is, is that there's casual. <laughs> yeah. They ruin. Yeah. yeah. They ruin more. <laughs> sometimes they ruin more than they're, exactly. and, you know, yeah, they're the toughest. Like you, I'm, you don't want to part of working at Conifer is the culture. Like people want to work there because of who you, the cult, what the culture is like, you know, they could work other places and they choose yeah. to work at Conifer because of the culture. Right. And, and we can't run a company of this size with, uh, we need 500 plus committed people running this place. Right. So, um, so, so we can't afford when, when people start to feel like, um, like it's a real struggle or it's cutthroat or, or they can't trust the people next to them, um, or above or below them or wherever they're, they're they happen to be seated, uh, across from, um, that that's a real problem because, it takes all of us for this company to be successful. Right. And I see that you're, it's cold in South Jersey, a little rainy out there. So this might be yeah. a comfort to you. Are you ready for the hot seat? <laughs> sure. Oh. The hot seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. 
Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. We already talked about one, spoke about one book. Do you have any other book or podcast recommendation? Uh, gosh, any other book? Sure. Um, you know, I um, uh, there's uh, actually we, we've embraced uh, like the Gino Wickman uh, philosophy here, you know, with e, uh, EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. So his book, Traction. Oh, okay was really good for me. It kind of helped me understand, you know, um, some key principles about how to operate, you know, a leadership platform. Huh, I don't, I don't know that one. I know me neither. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go look that up. I actually, I have, I yeah. use this thing called reading graphics, which takes all of these leadership books and then puts them into like a three page graphic. So, um, let's see if I could find that on there anyway. What, um, so obviously you've done a lot of deals in your, in your career. Which one's the most memorable? Yeah. Uh, gosh, um, you know, I still remember my first deal. Um, actually, I guess I remember every deal, but I remember my first deal. It's when I really understood the impact of affordable housing. Um, it was a, a senior affordable development in South Jersey. And when it started finishing up, you know, I got to meet some of the residents oh, and just man. realizing how, how much it meant to them. That was pretty pretty awesome. Um, but more recently, we just closed um, another, you know, the, the biggest deal at the moment. Um, and so it's 228 uh, apartments in the village of Hempstead. Um, that that development took seven years to get going. Um, and, and it was due to a lot of things, but a lot of it was around political shifts. So we had a supportive political environment. And before we could quite get all the approvals, that environment changed. And then we had to decide whether to walk away or keep charging forward. We stuck it out. And so for um, it was such a high profile deal that even as president, I still had to be pretty heavily involved in it. But it finally closed this past spring. And I'm so glad we stuck it out. Those are the toughest decisions to make yeah. as, a, as a developer or as, a, as an owner is this, when do you just say enough's enough? We stuck it out. And in this case, it paid off. Um, it turns out we're actually going to have on the ground floor in the commercial space, a local minority grocery oh, wow. store in the middle of a food desert. So we're building 228 mixed income apartments right across from the, the Long Island Railroad stop in the village of Hempstead um, on a brownfield, cleaning up the brownfield, uh, cleaning up the blight, putting in this great development instead, solving parking issues, solving so many things. And then on top of it, we were like, you know, what are we going to do with this commercial space? Um, and through working with the village. So it was actually the deputy mayor um, that, that brought that opportunity. He said, you know, I know you've been pushing on us, like, hey, how do we find the right community benefit to, to lease the space? And by part, by talking over and over with him, it was, so it was uh, Deputy Mayor Jeff Daniels in the village. The actor? That called one day and, uh, <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he said, hey, I've, I've got a, a possible tenant. And we, we went and met with him. And um, so we're building that space now and uh, looking forward to them opening up uh, a, a much needed um, locally owned and operated grocery store on the ground floor when we when we finished the project in 2020. Well, Lisa has a, so. a, a video series called Journeys where she does and she interviews she walks through like a building and it's, so far it's been hotels and interviews like the head of acquisitions or something and talks about it. So maybe and Julio, our, our producer runs um, uh, communications and marketing for uh, 
Mission Development Housing in San Francisco. So I'm going to do a couple of those out here with some affordable housing developments. Walk through them. They just did a big thing with Related. Um, but maybe Lisa can do a, a walking yeah. tour of the development. That would be really cool. I yeah. would love to yeah. do that when it's open. Actually, there's a. Um, I love the idea of putting local businesses into the communities like you're talking about. And I don't know. If, Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, there's a there's a a place called Regent Park in Toronto, and I don't know if you've ever had a chance to. I, my ULI council toured there last year, and it. What was amazing was they actually they. They allow the local people to put stores in and try entrepreneurial things. They all the artwork was was from one of the residents. I mean, it's it's just such a thriving, wow. interesting example of how a community could work. So I'm, I'm I have a lot to send you as a follow up. Be, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's really uh, great to hear. Yeah, I mean, we we take that really seriously. We've actually been really focusing on um, the resident experience here. And kind of defining that and i have to say you know hey the, the village of hempstead you know uh for for us as a large developer that's not born and bred from the village of hempstead it's very important you know from their side of it it's like hey this sounds great but um just and and I'm, i don't mean to single out the village of hempstead i think this speaks for just about any community across the country right there's a lot of times there's excitement, but there's skepticism, right? Uh, okay, that sounds great, but you're a big developer and you're not from here. How do we know that you're going to try your hardest to hire some local folks that are really needing jobs right. here? How do we know that you're really going to make this something that works for us too? So it's really, we take that very seriously. We, we uh, really push our local hiring on the construction side to the absolute max. Um, a lot of places now and a lot of developments have, um, you know, requirements they have to meet for local hiring. We like to say that, you know, give us your requirement and we'll exceed it by as much as we possibly can, um, not just not just hit it, you know. Um, and and it, it, it breeds success. We actually, you know, um, have, um, we have contractors now that came up through public housing that we worked on with them they actually came out of the public housing, started a business, became a contractor. We've uh, grown with them um, where now they travel and go and work in other communities with us on, on, on new projects. And, and, and it carries, it's, I feel like it's part of our obligation, right? Where, you know, it, and, and it really elevates what we do for communities. Um, And, and it's one of those areas where success breeds success. So. Awesome. Right. I could see people, work there, they live there, they play there, they raise their kids, the school, it all, yeah, it all works together. It all comes so, together, you know, and, and then to be thing. honest, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I hate to say it, but, you know, on a self-serving part of that, then when we go to the next community and they've got that same kind of apprehension, right. we have them sitting there saying, hey, you know, um, this is this is what we do, you know, so, yeah. Excellent. Well, last question from in the hot seat is, um, and we talked a little bit about this, but impact, right? So this is the Impact Real Estate Podcast. Who are some of the mentors that have really made an impact on your career? And what I'm hoping is that other people listen to this and then pay it forward. <laughs> um, yeah, no, great question. Um, you know, I think definitely, you know, my 
my dad uh, continues to be a force to be reckoned with, even you know long after retirement and uh, and him living in Florida in his retirement years. Um, so he's always been my first and foremost business mentor and family mentor. Um, he managed to raise a family of wow. five kids, put us all through college, and run a really successful business enterprise at the same time. Um, and so he's earned I'd that always- retirement for sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, I've really looked forward to to. I, I've always really valued his input. Um, outside of family, though, um, you know, I have to say I've been fortunate to have a lot of them. But you know, over the past seventeen years, I've been really thankful to have someone like Tim Fournier. Um, you know, Tim. Tim was. Uh, I got to meet Tim not long after I started here at Conifer, and. Um, as I started doing developments, there were a lot of occasions where he took me under his wing mentorship wise and reporting wise to help me grow. Um, and, um, and so it's been, even now uh, with him as a board member, I, I know that I can seek out his perspective and it's very valuable to me. Um, um, so there's some key mentors, you know, um, Outside of that, I, I'm continuing to seek out more. You know, so I mentioned we have an advisory board, um, finding some great value just having people on that advisory board that we can speak to about what we're what's going on at Conifer and seek, seeking some of different advice. Uh, one of those is actually uh, Billy Gilbane from oh, Gilbane yeah. Development Construction. Yeah. Uh, he's one of our advisory board members, but we certainly have uh, five five advisory board members, and they've all been very helpful to me. Um, and then, you know, my, my existing board, you know, so, you know, the, the board of directors at Conifer, uh, continues to mentor me. I think the best value out of those boards is when each person has a different yeah. area of expertise that you can, can, can pick on. It's, it's the same thing as running a company. If we all were good at the same thing, then why do we need 500 of us? <laughs> it's the same thing with the board. You know, each of my board members has a different set of perspective and experience and it's been helpful to me. And I bet that Vistage platform where you get coaching also, just people who are in completely different industries add some value too. So it's definitely uh, soaking it all up like a sponge is probably the key. If you ever need any recruiting board members, Lisa and I will happily sit on a board. We love boards. Okay. That sounds great. I'll keep it in mind. Absolutely. We're always looking for new ideas and, and fresh perspective. So, you know, they, they say that, you know, I know this is going to sound kind of cheesy, but it's, it really is true. You know, without all those things, it really does feel lonely, you know, because you, you, when something is going on in my mind, um, the number of people that I used to be able to discuss it with, um, there's a lot of things that, that I need a channel to be able to really bounce ideas off of in a safe place. So, um, so you do kind con- kind of constantly have to keep looking for different mentors and perspective where you have that safe space environment. So, Well, Sam, I know your real name's not Sam. I won't tell him what your real name is though. It's, uh, we'll keep that. We'll, we'll <laughs> oh, keep no, that a secret. Uh, yeah. Well then secret? people can, no, can uh, that's his Americanized name, Anglicized name. Uh, it was they great. I call your dad. Hang on. <laughs> it was great to get to know you better. Um, it's been a great relationship with you. You're a, you're a wonderful man. Uh, I see you on Facebook with all your, your kids and all that type of stuff. And uh, thank you for your friendship over the years. And, and thanks for hopping on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. And thank you for having me. And uh, um, really, uh, really thankful to have had the opportunity. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.